You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. A leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest today is David Rialli, CEO of the Phoenix Tube Company. Now, tube companies, okay, when you think of steel tubes, A, you're going, wait, there's actually people who do that. And yes, as a matter of fact, that would be David. And where do we see these? I guarantee if you have, well, I shouldn't guarantee, but I'd be willing to make a really strong bet that if you've ever ridden a bus, if you've ridden a subway, you when you're getting on, you're standing up, getting ready to get on or off the, the car, you're holding on to that rod, whether it's vertical, horizontal, so that when the bus or the train hits the brakes, you don't go flying through the front windshield. That's something that David produced. So you have been officially part of the Phoenix Tube Company. David, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Laura. I appreciate it. It's funny, David, and I, I think David officially, you hold the record for the speaking to influence guest that I have known the longest. David and I went to high school together and it has been, well, I'm not going to say how many years, but it has been at least a couple of decades since we last had a chance to speak. And then we just got together, reconnected at a reunion, which he hosted amazing. And when, as we were talking, I thought he was telling me about his company, about Phoenix Tube. And I thought to myself, you know, I can honestly say I have not had this steel tube industry represented on Speaking to Influence. So let's see where this goes. And I'm so grateful to you for coming and joining me today. I'm looking forward to having a, a wonderful conversation with you and catching up. After yes. a couple of years. A couple of years. Just a couple of years. Yeah, we're going to go with That's that. Right. That's my story. I'm yeah. sticking with it. It's my show. Perfect. I get to make the rules. <laughs> I'm glad you're on board with it. So, David, tell us a little bit more about Phoenix Tube Company. What's your 30-second elevator pitch? So, Phoenix Tube was started in 1980 by my father and another gentleman. And uh, we manufacture ornamental and structural stainless steel tubing in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. We manufacture 304 and 316 series stainless. We provide tubing to the entire North America and uh, anywhere else that uh, anybody else wants it, we will, we'll make it for you. That's me. And if I'm not mistaken, you said you are the, the only North American manufacturer of this. Everybody else is in China or otherwise overseas, right? That is correct. In our niche. Yes. In the niche. Okay. So remember next time you are on a bus uh, or on a subway or something that you're probably, you can say, thank you, David. When you're yes. there and safe. Terrific. Now, in doing this, I mean, I don't know that any kid grows up and, and thinks to themselves arbitrarily, I think I'm going to steal tubing. So you're there. This is part of your family business. What's your favorite part of your job and why? The favorite part of my job is, you know, I grew up in this industry and I started at a very young age. And I really, truly love being a leader and a boss of 130 employees. I feel that. It's not that you're just a boss or a certain type of boss, but you have to be a boss to every different personality that you have on the shop floor or in the office. And our diversity is, is extreme. We have uh, probably 
five, six, seven different countries represented outside, uh, Eastern European, Latin American. And uh, you have to be a different boss to different people. And I think that's something that I, I truly love. Sometimes the, you know, you need a little honey with the way you lead. Sure. Sometimes you have to have a little vinegar, you know, yep. you have to kind of know your, uh, your audience, so to speak. Absolutely. So Absolutely. That's what I really, truly love. Yes. Now tell me about what's going on in the company and how do you have to adjust your messaging to different stakeholders? Because obviously you've got your factory guys, you've got your clients, you've got your, you know, you've got your other leaders and your investors. What's really important right now and how do you adjust, adapt your messaging accordingly? So as the world knows, we just got out of a, or not out of a pandemic, but we're, I feel Hopefully. we're coming on a, on the yeah, back end of uh, a little what's light going at the end here. of the tunnel, yes. Of course. And, you know, over the course of two years, we had to cut hours. And that's kind of tough to do for guys that have been used to working 12 hour shifts, four days a week, and then even working on Fridays as well. And to keep the morale up, there's a certain thing you have to do and just to, to keep them positive on an everyday basis, especially when they're only working. 20 hours some weeks, 25 hours some weeks. That's, that's to, something that's a temporary cutbacks because of the pandemic. Exactly, exactly. And, and that kind of, you know, that makes people think, oh, oh you know, what's going to happen next? And are we ever going to come out of this? And, and luckily, you know, we, we probably had about a four-month blip. And then we got the guys back out on a, on a regular basis. And that's, that's you know, that kind of kept morale up after the four months, which was kind of nice. It's only Andrew and I, as far as the uh, shareholders here, and mm. we just kept everything positive. And in the office, we kept the skeleton crew to make sure everybody was comfortable. That's been very big over the last couple of years. So that's yeah. kind of the things we've done. I would think that as a family-run business, as this is the second generation running it, but that if you've had people working for you for the duration of those last you know, four decades or so, that they, it is something of an internal family among themselves. Absolutely. And, and outside and inside, we have fathers, sons, uncles, cousins working for us outside. And it's, it's, it's truly a family atmosphere. And uh, we like to keep it that way. Yes, it works yeah. for us. It's kind of a we're all in this together feeling. Absolutely. We're all rowing in the right direction. It all helps if you're rolling in the right direction, or at least all in the same direction one way or another. Let's say if it's the wrong direction, you figure it out and you redirect. For sure. So with regard to communication, then running this company, what's something you're really good at? And what's something that you, where you wish you were better at it communication wise? So obviously with 130 people, you have to motivate, you have to lead 130 different personalities. And I think that's kind of... Um, I want to, it's like, it's not a science, it's an art form. And I think the same thing with communication. You have your, you know, it's not, you just turn a switch and you're a great communicator. You have to pull some people in and, you know, really uh, treat them differently than another, another person as far as motivating. I truly feel I'm a great leader, a very good motivator to the, the different diversity that we have outside and inside. Uh, we have, uh, you know, all different walks of life. And I feel that when you could get them to work for you and be personable, it's a, it's a better environment. And I like to really, you know, I like patting people on the back on a daily basis. I always make sure that 
I go to every workstation in the morning, say, good morning, how are you doing? And it's, it's very personable. And uh, I do that throughout the factory as well. I go to stop at every machine and make sure everyone's doing well. And if there's ever a problem, I always have an open door for everybody in the entire factory. And everybody knows that. Sounds like you have an actual personal connection with everybody who's, who's there, regardless of their role. Absolutely. And, and that's from starting at 14 years old on the shop floor. My father made us go on the shop floor and do the jobs that these guys do. And you know that what they're doing on a daily basis is not easy. And they work 12-hour shifts. And let's, you know, after 10 hours, they're licked, you know, and you, it's hot out there in the summer and it's cold out there in the winter and uh, you feel their pain and you just want to make sure that you know, or that they know that, that they could come talk to you whenever they want. And they know it's a, it's a, it's a family atmosphere and it's, that's really, it's, it's very important to us. So it sounds like empathy is big and you need them to know that you understand. And it's not just that sort of a figurative, I feel your pain kind of a thing. It's, it's really like, literally, you've been in that job. You've been in there in the heat of the summer, in the cold of the winter. You, you were literally there doing those jobs back from the time we were in high school. 100%. And we still have the same guys that I've worked with when I was 17 years old out there. Guys have worked with us for 30 plus years. Yeah. It's very special. Yeah. Be careful with those uh, numbers of decades. You're going to give me away. I'm not ready to be thrown under the bus quite yet. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> now, aside from not being subtle in the key areas of, that were most important in this conversation, what, uh, what's another skill in communication that you'd like to be better at? Better at? Well, I mean, there's, there's a lot, of course. Um, one thing I'd like to be better at is maybe get my point across a little bit better sometimes. Sometimes I have a tendency to bark. Um, mm. It's part of my Italian heritage, I guess. Yeah. I really feel that sometimes I have to dial it back and not get so emotional. I do take a lot of things very personable. And um, that's something I, I feel I could, I could dial it back every once in a while. And I have to say my brother is the complete opposite. So mm. he talks me off the ledge every once in a while, so to speak. And yeah. uh, that's one reason why we work so well together. Nice. And so can you play the good cop, bad cop dynamic every now and then? Like you go handle this. We do. Unfortunately, I'm usually the bad cop <laughs> and he's always a good cop, but well, that's okay. The door kickers got to go in and do their job. And then somebody else is going to come in and hand out the chocolate bars afterwards and, and clean stuff sure. up. Nice. Make nice. But it, but it works well. It works well. It's good to know your role. That's really important. So what about role models? With regard to communication, who do you view as somebody who's a really effective, inspiring speaker? So I, I would have to say my father, he, mm. he had a way of, if you, I, well, obviously never my father, but he had a way of telling you the way it was and he didn't, he never sugarcoated anything. So if you were wrong, he would tell you you're wrong. If he felt like you weren't doing a good job, he would tell you. And that's a, a ver for me, that works well. I'm a doer. So if I'm doing something or was doing something out in the factory, and he felt like I wasn't putting my best foot forward. He would tell me. And uh, that's, that's something that I kind of really took to heart and always wanted to make sure that I was uh, making him proud. It's kind of, he, he was the best role model there was. And I have to say, you know, towards the end of his, of his life, unfortunately, he had Parkinson's and mm -hmm. he got into a car accident about, I'd say, six or seven years before he passed. And it was a blessing in disguise for me because 
he decided he wasn't going to drive anymore. Mm. And he told us, he says, all right, David and Andrew, you guys are picking me up to go to work from now on. Yeah. And work was an hour away. So I got an hour of, you know, three days a week talking to my father and he would give us his 40 years of wisdom, every car ride. And it was something that really just, uh, you know, I'll, I'll never forget the, the conversations that we had, you know, what we did right, what we're doing wrong, where we should go in the business. And you know, those, those were very special times for, for both of us, for Andrew and I. And, uh, to be able to have that one-on-one time with your father, those are the things that you don't necessarily appreciate when you're a teenager, but you certainly do appreciate it later in life. A hundred percent. What did he do? If I can poke a little bit there, because to the extent that we all want to know what we're doing well, what we're not doing well, we want to be clear on, okay, if this isn't good, how do I fix it, et cetera. Did you have to just toughen your skin or did he have a way of delivering it that made you appreciate and, and understand it without feeling criticized. There's a difference between being corrected and being criticized. You know, was it something where he was always good at that, at walking that line, or did you resist or resent as a kid and have learned to interpret it better as an adult or where was that? So he was very strong-minded and he would always just, he would always tell us the way it is. And I'll give you an example. Like I just started, I got out of sales and I was in my brother's office and you know, a couple of days before he says, you're going to start working in the factory with the plant manager and you got to learn the factory. And I'm sitting there at 6.45 or 7.45 having my coffee and he walks in and he asks, so what's going on in the factory? And I said, I, I don't know. I'm having my coffee and I'm going to go out in 10 minutes. And he blew a gasket. Mm. We could be making, uh, what did he say? We could be making uh, broomsticks out there for all you know. <laughs> and I remember that him saying that to me, I was like, you know, he's right. He's like, you, you need to know your business. And he had a way of saying things by not saying them. And I really, from that day forward, I said, you know what, I need to know my business from front to end. And from that day forward, I, I, I could tell you everything that's going on in that factory every day of the week. So what did you learn from him, both with regard to, okay, we need to be clear. We need to give people important information. Can you, is there, it sounds like there's some pieces in there about how to do it and how not to do it. If you could have changed some, what would have made it easier to take in or what has helped you be a better leader, both by doing exactly what he did and by adapting a bit? I think by him being so strong-willed, I think that made me uh, definitely a better leader and a, a better communicator because I took what he would do and I would kind of make it my own. And I think that you know, the best leaders come out of that where you take something from a, a, a great leader and you kind of make it your own and and uh, and be the boss you're supposed to be, not mm -hmm. the way uh, you were taught, I guess. Not just a clone. Exactly. Yeah. And what did you have to do to tweak that and make it more you and less him? Well, he definitely did not sugarcoat any words. He was uh, he wouldn't get away with some of the things he did or said in today's Nowadays, environment so. you know what i mean so i, I know uh you know hr would not have been happy uh, <laughs> <laughs> with with some of his tactics diplomacy but, was not one of his greater god-given strengths it sounds no like way, no got way no way but he, he got his point across and, and everybody knew my father if you were loyal to him he was loyal to you and obviously with the with the guys working for him for 30 plus years you could see that they, they loved him they really did what did, what did I take from him that would make me a better leader? 
Well, it sounds like being direct and not you know, just being clear with people is something that you took from him quite uh, directly. Absolutely. And, and, you know, like I said before, sprinkling a little honey on things every once in a while goes a long way with a lot of people. And I think that's how I kind of made it my own. Sure. You don't need to be on eggshells necessarily. I mean, diplomacy is, is I mean, there's so many different definitions, but things like diplomacy is the art of letting others have your way, right? Or, or the tact is the art of being able to make a point without making an enemy. So it sounds like it's not about eggshells or, or super sugarcoating, but uh, you know, softening the edge a little bit, not necessarily delivering with a sledgehammer, you know, a little teaspoon of sugar here and there is not our honey. As you said, it doesn't necessarily have to water down the message, just doesn't need to hurt all the time either. So nice. Yeah. Diplomacy is definitely a good place. Of course, you could be more of the Winston Churchill school of thought, which uh, I believe he was the one who said, diplomacy is the ability to tell someone to go to hell in such a way that they look forward to the trip. Yeah. <laughs> so we all have our role models one way or another, right? All right. So now what about style shifting? Because you know, there's so many different people that you have to connect with from your partners and your vendors to your employees and others, your, your, part, your, your internal partners, external partners. How do you have to shift your speech style sometimes from to be able to talk to them in different ways and be yourself still, but recognize that your delivery needs to change a little? So we deal with uh, different types of people that come into our factory. Let's just take, uh, for example, tours. So I give a lot of tours in the factory. And sometimes you'll have a guy who's actually bending the material and working with his hands. He'll be wearing his work boots. And then you'll have a guy who is the vice president of sales. And then you'll have a guy who's actually the owner of a steel company, a billion-dollar corporation. So you kind these of these are have people to, on the tour, or these are people who are part on, of your. Okay, uh, they're they're on the tour. Yeah, so you're, you have to. Yeah, you have to adjust the way you speak to each individual as they come. And different, like the guy with the boots, he speaks the lingo. He's going to want to get onto the mills and onto the floor and actually see how everything is made. Where the guy in the mid level there, a mid level uh, management doesn't really care about that much so much, but he wants to know how fast you can make it, how efficiently you can make it, and when could I get my material. Where the guy in the top, you know, they just want to, they want the broad picture. They want the, the big picture. And they're not very interested in how the material is made so much, but, you know, the big picture. And you have to change your, your communication to each one of them and talk the lingo with the guy with the boots and then, you know, be a little bit more of an intellect with the, with the CEO of a, you know, North American stainless, for example. Right. Right. It's so funny that, you know, you said tour and my brain went right into travel and tours and I'm going, it would never have occurred. Like, okay, you can go to Disney or you can go visit this, you know, here I'm in Philadelphia, come visit the Liberty Bell, the Constitution Center, the art museum. It would never occur to me to detour to Bethlehem and, and tour the steel factory. Sure. Why not? Let's see how steel It's very interesting though. I have no doubt. It's just, but so when you're talking about just for everybody else's clarification, who tours the factory? What does that mean to go on a tour? Okay. So on a tour, so if you're using stainless steel tubing and uh, you're, you know, you're curious on how it's made and who's you'll using come stainless visit the steel factory. tubing because I don't tend to go to Home Depot to buy stainless steel tubing. <laughs> so we sell to distribution house and 95%. So the 5% end users that we have, we kind of know where, where that goes. But as far as 95% of our material, it's just out in the market and it goes to fabricators and they'll bend it and make 
whatever they have to make out of it. So got it. So it sounds like it's mostly um, clients or prospective clients that you would be selling it to. That's so it's a distribution house. Okay, distributor will will grab their uh, fabricator and they'll say, "Oh, let's go to the to the mill and take a tour and see exactly how the tubing is made." And they'll usually have questions. uh, You know, can I bend this tubing? Is it okay to cut this tubing and stuff like that? So as business partners, it's not uh, it's not tourists per se. No, 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 no. <laughs> Got it. Let's make that very clear in case anybody's going. Yep. Well, it's kind of curious. I think I'll take my kid out. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Tours. Can I buy a ticket at two o'clock on Saturday? You know, we'll right. go after soccer practice. Something a little pass. different. <laughs> 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 pass, pass this too. I like yeah. that. We'll see how that goes. Remember, you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. So, David, this brings us to our listener twenty four hour influence challenge. And this is your opportunity to talk directly to the audience and challenge them to take just one step, something they can finish within 24 hours by this time tomorrow in order to have more influence for themselves. How would you like to challenge our listeners today? I would challenge your your younger audience, your couple years into the business salespeople. When you're in a meeting, you're there for a reason. And what I mean is that you're not there to head nod. Your boss wants you there for a reason. He wants your fresh ideas. So when you're in a meeting, speak up. Even if you don't think it's a a good idea, because I don't want to say a bad idea, but a, an idea that's not quite what, what they're looking for, you could always take a little piece of that idea. And a little piece of that idea in our business could mean minutes on changeovers or a little faster production. And those minutes and those hours add up in the in the grand scheme of things around here at least mm. and I, I say i challenge you to to speak up and and don't be afraid i know as a young executive i would always i would head nod a lot and that's something that i look back on and i say you know what i should have said this or i should have said that and i i, I not that i regret it but i feel like i should have spoken up a little bit more in those early years because they're fresh ideas they're right out of the can and that's what your boss wants. They want those fresh ideas. And it's not necessarily that it has to be completely half-baked either way, but you also don't have to, for those of you who are overthinkers out there who, or who more often than not will go, nah, this might not work, so I shouldn't, that, that we don't need to be that hyper-conservative in things. Try it. Put ideas out there. You can preface and say, you know, this is not completely formulated, but I'm thinking that there's something in this area, you know, give the piece, you know, what's formulating in your mind? What are, what's something that's being overlooked that you feel like should be incorporated somehow? Or what's a different angle, a a factor that maybe people haven't had a chance to look at how to integrate? You never know, throw a piece. You don't have to have the end all be all answer, but add a piece to the puzzle. For sure. For sure. I can't, I can't agree more. And so, you know, those little things add up to, to big ideas. They really do. It's all about being a contributor, right? Being a part of the team, not just being the solutions guy or woman or whoever it is. So I love that. Speak up. That being said, for those of you out there who are like, I do that all the time. Okay, so then maybe take a step back and let somebody else have their moment. I know there's plenty of us on that end of the spectrum as well. So, uh, but great opportunity, everybody. Don't hold back. Share your IDs, even if they're not perfect. You're not paid for perfection. So, then what about mistakes? We were just talking about the fear of making mistakes as a reason why somebody might hold back, might not contribute, fear of being imperfect, et cetera. What's a communication-related mistake you made at some point? Well, <laughs> of course, we make a lot of mistakes. But the one big mistake I think that I've, you know, as a young kid in the business and 
uh, working a lot of hours. You know, you, you're, you're working with people that are, are mentoring you and they're trying to teach you the way. And I remember I was probably 16, 17 years old and, and Henry, which uh, one of, I think he was our second employee here, worked here until he retired. And it's August, it's a hundred degrees out and he's telling me how to do something. He's, you know, I'm cleaning the rolls. He's like, no, you need to do it this way. You need to do it this way. And I'm like, Henry, you know, after 20 minutes, I said, Henry, I'm going to be your boss one day, you know, stop it, knock it off, please. And as soon as I said that, you know, when you want to just take those words and just stick them back in your mouth and hope you didn't hear. And you're like, okay, that didn't go well. That's not the way I wanted to say that. Yes. I should have said it this way. And, uh, those, those are some things when you're, when you say words, you know, my father always used to say that, uh, you know, choose your words wisely because, you know, they're, they're always out there. Once they're said, they're said. Yeah. And, uh, that's something that I, I, you know, I regret I do. And I, I've got to say that when he retired in his retirement speech, how many years later he said, I, <laughs> he said that in his retirement speech that David said I was going to be his boss one day. And, and that kind of threw me back. And I was like, oh. So Henry, if you're listening, I do apologize for saying that. So <laughs> It is funny. We all have those moments where you hear those words come out of your own mouth and A, part of you goes, that sounded different in my head. And the other part of you goes, no, it's like slow motion. You wish you could just reel it back in and you just know that you're just doomed. It's way too late. But you know, I want to give credit that to, to be able to just look out there and, and say, you know, hey, Henry, if you're out there, I apologize. I think a lot of leaders sometimes get stuck on the inability to acknowledge mistake or to apologize or to whatever else. There's a fear of, well, that'll show me as being weak and I can't admit there's a mistake or something. And I think it's really important that I was just talking to a, a group earlier this morning about it, that there's a difference between humiliation and humility. And humility, to the best of definition I ever heard of it, uh, it was actually from a friend of mine who's a priest. And he said, humiliation strips away dignity, but humility restores it. And I think that's so powerful, the notion of, you know, to, to have the humility to own your mistake and to say, I should not have said that. That was rude. That was whatever. I apologize. It was inappropriate of me. That doesn't make you look weaker. That actually strengthens you as someone who's mature enough to own that kind of thing and to give credit to the person who does it. Mm-hmm. can't agree more it's it's hard for a lot of people it's hard for me look we all have egos egos uh, light the way all too frequently or maybe just dim the lights along the way and that's part of the problem we end up stumbling all over ourselves but uh i think that's a great story and i hope henry you're out there listening and you appreciate that uh he's he's out of himself in the in front of the world for you that's a uh, great great example now Within the conversations of those difficult discussions, what's a time when you had to share some bad news or initiate a difficult conversation? And how did you handle it? Because nobody likes those moments, even when you are the bad cop. Yeah, there's there's a lot of difficult conversations that you have in business, especially being, you know, for what, 25 years I'm here now. Uh, but one of the most difficult conversations you'll have with an employee is when when they think they deserve a promotion, but mm. you don't think they deserve a promotion or a raise. And you're trying to tell them that, you know, you, you want to keep morale up and, but you still have to say, listen, you're not doing your job up to the standard that, that I would do or that your peers think you should be doing. And that's, it's a very fine line 
to make sure that, that they understand that they're, they're still wanted and they're still a very valuable employee, but there's, there's room to, to be better. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some people, they, they, they get very hurt and, you know, some people look for another job or, you know, they come to work and they're not happy and you, and you got to try to, to build them up and make sure you're, you're still trying to motivate them to be better people and better employees. And that's, that's those better? are very difficult conversations. I would imagine nobody wants to say no and nobody wants to hear no for sure, especially when it comes to those kinds of opportunities. And when they think they deserve the promotion and they think they're working hard, that's, you know, it's kind of a knock on, uh, on them. So. Yeah, well, sure. And what does it mean to work hard, right? Does it mean the number of hours you put in? Does it mean the quantity of work that you're producing in that time? Does it mean the the quality of the work and how, how accurate it is versus, uh, you know, rate of error, how much scrap you produce, et cetera? So I, I would imagine there's a lot of different factors that it's not just a subjective decision. So have you gotten better at those conversations over the years? Absolutely. You, you, you learn, you also learn the, the different personalities that you're dealing with as well, which, which helps. And being here so long and you, you're, you, you understand how to, to talk to certain people and how to get the most out of certain people as well. Uh, but everybody really knows the standard that, that I like. And I work the job, so I understand how to do the job and to do the job correctly. So they can't fool me. Right. And that's something that, uh, you know, I, I, I take a lot of pride in. So give me an example. Walk me through a day, you know, just a snippet of a conversation where 10 or 20 years ago, having that conversation to let somebody know they've asked for this raise, they've asked for the promotion, and you weren't you just weren't able to give it to them for whatever reason. You didn't feel like they'd earned it yet. What would, what's a line or two of what that would have sounded like 10 or 20 years ago. That's different from how it would sound today. Yes, (laughs) sure. Let's put it that way. So I would say, forget it. Get back to work. This is crazy. You're, you're not doing the job that I think you should be doing. And that's it. There's, there's nothing to talk about. Did you like hear yourself say that and then turn around and go, dad, is that you? (laughs) Exactly. Um, and what about now? Now, I, w- I would, I would definitely, I would massage it a little bit more. I'd say, you know, there's, there's room to improve. Uh, you're doing a great job. I see how hard you're working, and I think we need to start doing this, or I think we start to need to start doing that before we can start talking about this. And that's how I approach the guys outside. And it, you, you have to, you have to massage it. You definitely have to massage it a little bit. So it sounds like the no has turned into a not yet, but here's what would be required to get the yes. A hundred percent, hundred percent. So a little more context. There's a carrot out there. It's still possible. It's just not ready at this point. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very different message. Very different message. Now, what about with regard to the, when you're trying to think about promotion and trying to think about uh, succession planning and things, you're in a different situation if, given that it's a family-run operation. But you, of course, also have other people working who are uh, not part of the genetic family of sorts. How? What does it take to ensure that when you're promoting that the person is ready for leadership, not just that they're experienced? So we like to hire within. And that's something that we've done for, for many, many years around here. So that gives people motivation around here. They know that, that there is a job at the end of the tunnel. And we look at people and say, you know, are you motivated? Will you stay the extra hour? Will you do jobs that you're not 
really hard for. And when we see that, that's when we say, okay, this guy can be a leader. This guy Mm -hmm. can work for us because that's what we expect. Um, As far as a succession, um, and obviously I have two boys. I have a daughter. If she wants to come into the steel business, that's great. My brother has two boys and a daughter as well. So we have six children that potentially could be in the steel business here. The succession plan is is kind of difficult because there's we're not we're not IBM we're not right. that big you know where when Andrew and I came in we had jobs to start but we knew we would be bosses at some point sure where our children when they come in they're going to have to first they have to have to learn the business but then they're going to have to take on roles and they're going to have to take on jobs like be an engineer or um, be the head sales guy. So it's just definitely a different succession plan than than when we were here, whatever twenty years ago or sure. a couple of years ago, as right, uh, right. we talked about before. Of course. So I'll delete that part. I'll blip that out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I'm definitely looking forward to it. And there's a lot of challenges with with kids today compared to when we grew up. Kids today, you're battling technology. You know, the kids are on the texting compared to, uh, hello, Mrs. Casal, how are you? Is Kenny available? Like those are skills that we developed as uh, very young, and these kids right. don't have that. Uh, Hello, how are you? Okay. It's just a text, it's text, and come outside. Ability. It's it's very it's it's very different, and you know, uh, my kids unfortunately they play sports, so they haven't been able to come here at fourteen, fifteen, sixteen years old. Sports nowadays are all year round, and if you're not doing the involuntary workouts, you know, during the summer, you're not going to see the field. So unfortunately, they're going to start working on the on the factory floor at 21, 22, 23, 24 years old. And they're going to get dirty and they're going to wear the work boots just like we did. That's sure. the only way to work. That's the only way to learn it from the ground up. So I, to qualify, it's not that it's unfortunate that they play soccer. It's this with regard to industry experience. We all love soccer. We're not bad mouthing any of those kinds of things. You know, my kids play soccer, but it's more that, you know, everything's got a pro and a con, right? The the easy and the hard. And as a kid, I'm sure there were plenty of times when you wish you were playing soccer, but you know, dad said, no, you're 14, you're 15. It's time to go to work. Yeah. This is what we do. This is the family business. You're going to come in. Now you can appreciate what you got out of that and what you had to sacrifice in the process, you know, summers down the shore or whatever it was. But now the kids had all those opportunities that you may have wished that you had, but now recognizing there's a trade-off that they're in a finished college without the better part of a decade worth of industry experience and hands-on experience. And they'll have their books and they'll have their some knowledge of it, but they're going to be starting a lot further behind should they decide to enter uh, enter the business. And so. they're going to have to gain the respect of the guys on the shop by doing the, the job of the guys on the shop. And yes. we have a saying around here, you can't fool me. And mm. that's something that you know all of upper management around here have really started from the ground up and when we walk through the factory, you can't fool me. I know that that machine could run at 60 inches a minute. Why is it running at 50 inches a minute? And those right. are the things you question when you're walking around the factory. Yes. Yes. So all that, that credibility markers, right? Because they know you've been here. They know that you know. It's a different world. Finally, speaking of kids, let's talk about the next generation. If you had the opportunity, David, if you were invited to give the commencement address at a high school graduation ceremony, what advice would you give the graduates, whether or not they're going to go to college, enter a factory of some sort or other, or uh, anything else? What's the one piece of advice you would give them 
for them to be successful? The one piece of advice I would give them is love what you do. You have to love what you do. If you don't, you're going to work. And we all know the saying, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. And it's so true. It's, it brings true every day. And I love what I do. I truly do. I can tell. And that's great. And we appreciate it because those of us who ride subways and buses on a very regular basis, pandemic or otherwise, are extremely glad that those bars are there. So with that, David, thank you so much for joining me today. This was a really fun uh, jog down memory lane and elsewhere for that matter. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I had a great time catching up and I appreciate everything. So and everybody else out there, as always, thank you for listening in. Don't forget to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And if you have not done so yet, please go to iTunes and anywhere else and give us a five-star rating so that we can help even more people increase their confidence, presence, and influence. Oh, David, I forgot to ask, how can people learn more about you and the Phoenix Tube Company? Where can they go? We have a website, phoenixtube.com. Just check us out. Great. PhoenixTube.com. Of course, we'll put that in the show notes. So check those out as well. And to everybody else, finally, if you want to, last opportunity, if you want to download my free guide to equipment recommendations for virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to SpeakingToInfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sicola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.